Welcome back to another episode of the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show. As always, I'm your host, Ben Brown, a nutrition and fitness expert and owner of BSL Nutrition, an online coaching company whose mission is to help you change your belief system around what it means to be healthy. And in today's episode, I'm actually going to shift the context of the conversation away from nutrition and health to that of relationships, of personal growth and acceptance, as well as that of personal and parental responsibility. You see, at the time of this recording, the deaths of the Uvalde, Texas Children's Massacre have been weighing heavily on my mind. As a man and a father, And as the frequency and severity of these inhumane events continue to grow, I can't help but wonder what's happening to our young men today. I can't help but wonder about the impact on the mental health of these kids and the pain that they must be experiencing to not have any type of positive role model in their lives. Politics aside, we need more men to stand up, to show up, to set an example for what's right and wrong and to teach young men how to be hardworking, responsible, capable, and upstanding citizens and adults. And this was the conversation that today's guest, Mike Liguori, and I had as we wrapped up our conversation and our interview that I felt compelled to comment on here. And while I realize that this is outside the scope of our typical eat less and exercise more jargon, All of that clearly pales in comparison to the epidemic of fatherless homes our country is experiencing. I just know that we can and need to be better, to do better on so many levels. And so with that said, speaking of men and fathers, Mike is also the author of the book, The Road Ahead and Miles Behind, a story of healing and redemption between father and son. And his book tells the story of a cross-country road trip taken during the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and the intricate yet beautiful nature between a father and son looking to reconcile their differences and amend a challenging past as so many of us have experienced. Now, having had the privilege of reading The Road Ahead and Miles Behind over the past couple days, I can tell you it is full of inspiring moments and perspectives that demonstrate the healing power of having hard conversations with those you love. And it's the story that will remind you that it's never too late to have something with your parents. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And please, please share this with someone close to you whom you think could benefit. Mike, welcome to the Smart Nutrition Made Simple Show, brother. How are you doing, man? Doing great, Ben. It's so good to see you, man. I, I, you, I know we were talking a little bit before the podcast. So you just went on this amazing trip with your daughter, so uh, I'm excited to hear about that later in the line. But you look, you look refreshed and rejuvenated. The timing of this conversation is—it's funny how things work out sometimes, mm, right? Because yeah. as you alluded to, as we just like, I just got back from a trip with my father and my and, and, and our middle daughter to Yosemite for five days. And I was reading your book, which we're going to talk about mm. while I was there. And I have a, I certainly have a precarious relationship with my father as, as you did and, you know, yeah. as you did. And um, so it, it really was interesting that just the timing of everything. And so I'm excited to have this conversation. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on. So 
Mike, when this is coming out, your book is going to be on the market. And so obviously I want to, I want to talk about your book, um, the road ahead and miles behind a story of healing and redemption between father and son. What I'd love to know first for me, Mike, is what sort of impact are you, are you hoping that this book is going to make now that it's, it's out on the market? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, it's really great to see that you took a trip with your dad and your daughter. Uh, to a very beautiful place. And, you know, and for me, that was, it's interesting when you do have a precarious relationship or you do have something that's a little bit, let's just say complicated. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there was maybe some sort of feelings that you had the same way that I had the feelings when I went on the road trip with my dad, you're like, what, what is this trip actually going to entail? Like, Mm -hmm. what am I doing here? And what I really truly felt was, um, you know, at the time that, you know, it was, I felt like it was a hail Mary. I felt like it was a last ditch effort to have something with my dad after years and years of friction and resentment. And so, you know, the book really encompasses the fact that it's never too late to have something with your parents and that your parents did the best they could with what they had at the time that they had it. And so a lot of this healing power comes from this, the sense of tough conversations that we're either having with ourselves or we're having with our parents to really not just for them, but it's for us to really just bury all of that and just accept and forgive ourselves because for the longest time as kids, we wanted our parents to love and accept us. And we often carried that weight and then we redirected it and projected at mom and dad because we're angry at them. Mm. But how freeing would it be for us that, you know, you read this book and you start to see that there's an opportunity for all of us to be able to accept and forgive ourselves and to have that tougher conversation with ourselves we can free ourselves and just accept mom and dad as they are. There, there's so much of, of what you're talking about that's that's certainly resonating with me. But one of the things that I'm observing through the process of growing up, uh, for one, even though I'm a 42-year-old man, I think <laughs> so much of our life is spent, and I kind of would yeah. love to dig into this a little bit, but so much of our life is spent living in the shoes of trying to please mom and dad or trying to live up to the expectations that perhaps we think they have of us, but also the observations around by virtue of growing up, growing out of some of those perceived expectations and growing into the understanding that they're fallible and they're human. Mm -hmm. And maybe they just don't know either what to do, right? And that our expectations of them perhaps are a bit too demanding. Yeah. If that's something that you've observed. There's no playbook in being a dad. Right. And that and then so because there's no playbook, there's certain books out there that tell you this is a good way to parent or this is a good way to parent. Nobody really knows. Nobody really everybody's just doing the best that they can with that. And some of us are more involved in our kids' lives than others. And I think, you know, for me, when you're growing up seeking dad's approval, because like many, I'm sure many people out there with their dads, my dad worked. My dad was brought up in a generation where men provided and they led families through provision. You, the more money you brought in, the better the family was and you led through provision. There was no conversation around emotional uh, expression, especially among young boys with men. Right. How many of us have ever experienced, you know, Oh, why are you crying when you're hurt? Just put up some dirt on it and get back out there. It's in a lot of ways, it's not a healthy expression for us to be able to express that we're hurt or we're experiencing something at that moment in time that's uncomfortable with us. 
And so when we keep getting that type of feedback, at least in my experience, I always had that feedback that I never, ever had time to really fully express something that I felt was important or specific to me. If I was upset or something, I never felt dad was really, truly going to be around to allow me to express that. And it's not because he didn't care. My father loves me very much as much as he loves my other three brothers, but dad grew up in a generation where he was not taught that dad grew up in a generation where I have to go to work and I have to provide. I don't have time to listen to you tell me how you feel about something. So for me, at least, I was always seeking dad's approval through the lens of, well, I need to do something that's importance. I need to do something that makes me recognizable to him so that he can make space in his life to parade me around. And I alluded to this in the book that mm-hmm. being a Marine was such a great honor, not just for me as an individual, because I learned and I served, I learned how to be accountable and take ownership and be responsible. But more importantly, I was autonomous because of that. But especially with the fact that I came home and I, after I served my tours of duty, my dad was proud of me because I wore this uniform and know that the symbolism of uniforms for us, especially when it comes to dads and it comes to sons and those in the inverse of that. And Ben, I'm sure you can relate to this. When you played sports, probably as a kid, you were proud to be part of the Tigers or the Royals, or if you played high school football or you were on the track team. And dad and mom associated that uniform to a level of significance that you were part of something much bigger than yourself. And so they were like, my son's on the high school track team. My son Mm -hmm. runs track or my son plays football. Now, when that uniform comes off, there's a little bit of that disappointment within us because we don't feel like we're wearing something of significance externally that can be seen by mom and dad. And for me, when I came home from the military and I struggled with post-traumatic stress disorder and I was no longer wearing the uniform of being a Marine, the uniform I was wearing was that of depression and anxiety and just not feeling worthy. That was the uniform I was wearing. What parent, at least in my eyes, why would my dad want to parade me around that his son is struggling? And so, you know, deep down, even though I had that inherent struggle, I also had this need to be like, but dad, I can change. I can do more. And I was always seeking his approval for that. Even though I was struggling, I was like, dad, look, I'm going to get out of this. And it took me a really long time to recognize that. I didn't need to seek any sort of approval from him. Like I didn't need to seek his approval from him. If anything, I needed to seek approval from myself. And I think a lot of us get hung up in the fact that we're trying to make dad and mom really, truly like us. And the matter of the fact is, is some of our parents are not capable of meeting our expectations because they're incredibly high expectations that we have. So we're kind of just doing this like reciprocation, right? Where mom and dad, when we were growing up would say, Ben, eat your vegetables. Don't jump on the bed. Uh, you turned your homework in late. I'm grounding you. Or you're not old enough to drive a car yet. You're, you're not ready to date. And then it's funny as our parents get older and we get older too, we go, mom, dad, you're too old to play pickleball. Mom, dad, you're too old to drive a car. What are you doing mm. driving the car? You should be working on that. So how funny is it that we didn't like our parents as much and we rebelled against them because us what to do and try to change. And then yet we get older and we're telling our parents and they rebel against us because we want them to change and we want them to be different. Right. And so I did that with my dad for a really long time. And it caused a lot of friction, especially when I got out of the military, we were always trying to change each other. And so what did that lead to? And it might as well walk us into kind of the topic at hand in terms of getting into this book and and the journey that it led you on. 
Yeah. Well, I think the, the first thing I recognized was, is that, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in, in God and in the higher power and, you know, and just for the, the reference of this conversation, God, universe, source, spirit, whatever you believe in, you know, I prayed and said, God, if you're listening to me, I just want something with my dad, even if it's just a cordial ground to walk on. And, you know, universal law will tell you asking you will receive, you just don't know when to get it. And so I actually have been praying and asking for that deep down for years. I was like, I just want something with my dad. I just want something with my dad. And lo and behold, I get this phone call in the middle of the COVID pandemic weeks before my birthday. And my dad asked me out of the blue, if I want to go on a cross country road trip with him during this pandemic to a automotive race in Sebring, Florida called the 12 hours of Sebring. And for those of you out there that are not familiar uh, with auto racing, this race is really quite phenomenal. It's 12 hours of racing around a racetrack that is uh, kind of made out of an old airport field. And it's a team of guys, team of people, I should say about 20 people deep changing tires, making sure that the drivers are, are awake and they're alert. And each driver's going around the track three and a half miles for about four hours at 130, 40 miles RSP. It's really quite fantastic. Um, and it's really a sight to see just the, the teamwork aspect, but I say all that because as glorious as that event sounds, having your father of almost 30 years of anger and resentment and never feeling appreciated or accepted by him at the core level, have that father ask you to go on a road trip with him because he quote thinks it's going to be fun for someone like myself. I was like, man, this is the ultimate spot for me to truly let him down on my own terms because I was so revengeful. Mm. I was so angry at him and this voice came out of nowhere. And it's the voice that I'll use is very similar to uh, James Earl Jones from the Lion King, like the voice of Mufasa, this very powerful, masculine, but soothing voice. And the voice said to me, Michael, you, you need to go on this trip with your dad and maybe the only one that you ever get with him. And when you hear that statement and you think about that for anybody out there with their parents, that's a very powerful statement that this could be possibly the last trip or experience that you ever have with your parents. And so hearing my dad, who's this kind of ad agency guy, very similar to Don Draper, not selling me the product, selling me the experience of it. What are you going to get out of this? And he's so excited. Mm. And here I am listening to this voice of James Earl Jones. And I'm going, I have to go on this trip with him because if I don't, I'm going to regret it. And I just knew in my core, in my gut that I was going to regret it. And so I went. And, you know, I got off the phone with him and I, after I agreed with him to go and, and the first thing I said to myself was, is that, what did I just get in myself? What did I get myself into? Mm-hmm. And it was, um, you know, and, and it ended up being one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful trip of my life. What do you think made him reach out to you in the first place? You know, that's a great question. I've never asked him that. Um, I think in a lot of ways, it could just be, you know, he has four sons and he spends a lot of time with his sons and doing different things. We all have different interests. Um, You know, I I can't really answer that question, but if I had to give an answer right now, I think it was the simple fact that there was not a lot of time for us that we really spent just actually being father and son. And I remember actually now thinking about it right now and, and during this conversation, I don't think me and him actually really spent a lot of time alone together. And so something kind of triggered, I think him where he was like, wow, I haven't really spent a lot of time with my oldest. During in the book, 
you talk about how he kind of had this unique bond with your other brothers, I think by virtue of, of just being into cars and you were like the one that just wasn't really into, into cars at all. And so perhaps that was, you know, what you're referring to in terms of (laughs) just not really having that connection. I know, you know, you also talk about how the bond was built over sports growing up. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of when perhaps you were your happiest with him of yeah. being at sporting events. And it felt like you were kind mm-hmm. of disconnected from reality and you could talk about the game and sort of sharing life lessons through the game. Mm-hmm. Right. And all of those types of things, which I really appreciated. Um, yeah. And that certainly resonated for me, but uh, regardless as you, now you're, you're going on this, what could potentially be disastrous 11 day journey across the country. Um, <laughs> and, and how does it, you know, yeah. fill us in. Well, it wasn't disastrous. So thank God. Uh, but obviously you know, or else that wouldn't have been a very good book. Yeah. Oh, there would be, yeah, there would be no book. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, what I will say is, is that, you know, it, the thing when we were at sporting events, it was the atmosphere in the crowd that allowed my father and I to really be encapsulated in the event because it was the only time that he actually wasn't distracted with work because it's very difficult to work and then be at a sporting event with 30,000 people watching a baseball game or even on that Saturday morning where he decided to leave his phone in the car. And mind you, this is not the day and age where there was Instagram back then. You know, he had the flip phone. And, yeah. you know, dad, my dad was very good at leaving the phone in the car and just unplugging. And I think it was actually a lot simpler for most of us to unplug back then. I, I think about the thoughts and the feelings leading up to that trip and being in the hotel room in Las Vegas and having these feelings of disappointment and frustration that he wasn't going to show up because he had had a pattern in the past of not being able to pick me up from daycare after school care. And my mom would have to come get me. And I remember it'd be like, Hey dad, you didn't pick me up. And he would say, yeah, I had a client meeting. Well, when you're 10, you're 12, you're 13, you don't understand work. You just think money comes out of the sky or just grows on trees. And so the only thing you want is your father to be around, especially as a young boy. It's funny because I almost, I actually defaulted to that in the hotel room. Ben. I actually ended up sitting there going, he's not going to show up Mm -hmm. because he was driving from California and I had flown from Colorado the time where I was living, uh, I had actually flown to Las Vegas waiting in the hotel room for him. And those feelings of anxiety came up where I was like, man, is he even going to show up? Because is he going to leave me at daycare like he did before? Is he going to leave me at after school care like he did before? You know, and so am I ever going to get a moment like this again? Am I ever going to get something like this? Or is it just, was I just wrong? And it's hard when, especially, uh, you know, here I am in my mid thirties, almost reverting, pretty much reverting back to that of like an 11, 12 year old kid who's not being seen or heard by his father. Right. And so those feelings came up. And I think something that was really profound during that experience was, was when I was sitting in that hotel room, I said, something felt so right about being there, but also felt incredibly wrong. And it was the, it was the feeling of being let down or abandoned or disappointed that I had given myself and I had overgiven myself to my dad to make him see that I was that of value outside of the uniforms that I've worn in my past playing Mm -hmm. college football and the Marines. And it was like, I'm now in my mid thirties. I run my own business. I'm a published author. And it's like, the only question I could think about, Ben, was, is that enough for you? And I don't think we ask ourselves that question often when it comes to our parents. I think we, 
we go, is that enough for you, dad? And we never ask ourselves, is that enough for me, the individual? Is that enough for me, Mike? Is that enough for me, for you, Ben? Um, and I think that was a major shift for me on that trip when I started realizing that I had been always seeking him out and I've never been seeking myself out. Right. You know, I'm emph- emphatically shaking my head here because it's, it's, you know, along the lines of what I was referring to at the beginning of the conversation is, is yeah. just in terms of trying to live up to these expectations that we think our parents have of us yeah. through much of our life. And for me, again, as you know, going on a 42 year old man in just the last couple of years is giving myself permission to absolve myself of some of the responsibility and the guilt that I feel that I'm not living up mm-hmm. to set expectations and that every step that I take has this sort of subconscious level of yeah. what do my parents think of this? Is this good enough? And in reality, it's saying, is this good enough for me? Is this, am I holding yeah. myself up to my own expectations? Am I okay with my level of, of success? Yeah. You know, and ultimately is, I think there's so much of acknowledging that and possibly what I'm, I'm seeing throughout your journey is the realization that you know, those expectations were never there uh, to the degree that we ever think they are. And it's us really just being overly hard on ourselves and this kind of meeting in the middle of like acceptance, right? Around I'm accepting of you as the person that you are, right? And the person that you're, you were going to be and not that you're yeah. necessarily going to change, right? And we always think like, when are they going to change? When are they going to start talking to me? For mid-70s, you know, yeah. your old person, it's like, it's not going to happen. But how are we changing and how are we, again, meeting in the middle to accept that we are where we are and we can kind of grow from there together, right? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, and, that, and, and that's where this, this, the healing power of tough conversations really comes in because a lot of times we're always looking for acceptance or recognition or accolades from external circumstances, right? So, you know, it's the world that we live in is the one that we create in our minds. And so if we're always saying, well, I'm not worthy until mom and dad give me the acceptance and love that I didn't get as a child, reframing that and saying mom and dad did the best they could with what they had at the time that they had it completely changes the lens that your parents are only capable of loving you the only way that they know how, because they were taught or maybe their capacity was inherited from their parents who could only love and who can only give as much as they knew how. And so when you start recognizing that, that there's actually limitations to every single person, that mom and dad will never meet your expectations because you've either put such high expectations on them for yourself, you're always going to be let down. And that's with anything. If you put too high expectations on your business and you don't meet them, you're going to think you're a failure. Or if you put too high expectations on your partner or your friends or whatever the case may be, even your clients, and they don't meet those, you're letting yourself down. And so I realized that my whole entire series of grievances, I should say, and anger and frustration and resentment I had towards my dad was I had this expectation. It's like, dad, all you really truly care about is money. My expectation of you is, is when are you going to get past the money and see that there's a man over here who still deep down has a wounded young inner child that's looking for you to just say, son, I love and accept you for who you are. And little did I know that I was so caught up in my own story 
that actually my dad was saying that to me the entire time. And he was doing it through another lens of action, which is not that of the verbal in which my expectations was or where I was seeking it. But it was in the fact that he had been working the whole entire time because during the road trip, he said, I, all I wanted to do was give you a better life than the one that I got. And that's why he worked so hard. That's why I went to really good schools. That's why he always taught me to work. That's why no matter how much money he had accrued, he would still make me go do manual because in, for him, it was like, nothing is given to you. Everything is earned. And I will always give you opportunities. And life is about creating opportunities for yourself to go and get the things that you want because you need to earn things. And so my lens and expectation of my dad actually dramatically shifted when I started seeing that there were certain limitations that he had in his ability to love and receive me, but there were also areas where he thrived incredibly well. And I was actually looking at him and judging him as a dad and not Mm -hmm. judging him as a man, even though there are part of one of the same, most of us have grievances or problems with our parents because we look at them as parents and we actually don't know them as mom and dad. And so right. scorecards, I call it the scorecard, right? So mom and dad, you know, Ben, you didn't get a, a B on your homework, minus one, you're grounded. Dad, say, hey, Ben, I'm going to give you the keys to the car when you're 16 years old. You can go driving. It's your first time with your driver's license. You go out there, you're like, oh man, that was really cool. Plus one for dad. And so you scorecard your parents. But the problem is, is that we only either love or accept our parents who they are from being mom and dad. We actually don't really truly know our parents as people because we've never taken the opportunity to ask them what life was like before we were born. And imagine what that does to change the entire context and the conversation of you as a human with them to be able Mm -hmm. to say, wow, what were you like? I think it takes a level of maturity on our end. Yeah. To want to ask those questions and to care enough for the responses, especially in the context of of growing as an individual and wanting to grow yeah. together. And so was it your intention once he had invited you on this trip and you're, you know, you're in the car, mm. uh, obviously, w- was it your intention to write this book the, the entire time? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Uh, my intention was to get out of that road trip alive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. Um, no, uh, in, in all honesty, the reason why I went on that trip, first of all, was to just see if there was anything left between us. That was it. Cause is this the hail Mary? Is this the last shot that we have between us? And so, you know, that trip changed my life because I got to know my dad as a man. Um, I got to know him. I got to know what he was afraid of, what kept him up at night. I didn't to know exactly what drove him to work so much. And more importantly, I got to know that his capacity to love was only finite. I think he, he loved the best way he could, and he still loves the best way he could and the way that he knows how. And my responsibility is, is my own self-interest or that and actually say, you know what? My dad's loved me the best I can. And I'm going to love him the best that I can. And maybe my capacity for love is greater than his and his might not be there. And I think a lot of us can relate to that is that we want to give so much love. And sometimes the other person's not capable of doing that. The real question is, is can we accept that person in this relationship and let it be known that, that we're still being loved, even though it doesn't feel like it's on the same magnitude. So when I came home and wrote that book and had all of this feeling and like excitement and like euphoria. Cause I was like, Holy crap, man, this is a, like the first time since I was about eight years old that I now have a relationship with my dad. 
So I came home and I wrote this book and, and Ben, I cried the entire time. It was very cathartic for me. I released a lot of pain, but it was 30 years of pain writing this book coming out in the form of tears and releasing the weight and the burden. And actually in a lot of ways, I took myself out. I like self-sabotaged a lot of the endeavors that I had in life because dad was in the back of my head. And now that I've been free of those, the world is so expansive for me. And the world is like so much greater to me because dad's not talking in my head and I'm not thinking about him when I go out and promote this book. Ironically, I'm not, even though it's about us because I'm free of the expectation that I have to appease my dad in this book, because I wrote this book for people and I wrote this book for me. And now I'm sharing the story in hopes that people can see that your parents just want something with you just as you want something with them. The real question is, is where you can, where could you meet to have that relationship that you both really want? That's beautiful, man. Where are you thinking to yourself? Like, I'm just going to make the most of this and I'm going to, I'm going to dig in. Like, let's, let's put everything on the table here. And, and you just said, you just started to come out with it and kind of asked your dad, you know, what he was like before you were born and, mm-hmm. and kind of all of the things. Yeah. I, I, I will tell you that I went into that, that car ride the first day and I was like, man, I'm going to just stick it to him because I'm in this <laughs> car with him for like five, we're driving from like Las Vegas all the way to Florida. So it's a long. anybody who's done a road trip knows that is a long trip. And we weren't stopping either. My dad's one of these people. It's like, all right, we're here. We're going to Florida. We're only stopping to go to the bathroom and to sleep. Like there was no sightseeing. Like we were on a mission. So I'm sitting there like four or five days. Like, man, I could really just ask him some really crazy questions. And the goal was for me is to remove my pride and ego from this and not be combative because really I was like, oh, I'm going to stick it to him. I'm just going to ask him these really, I'm going to ask him these questions and what I realized is, was I actually didn't know him. I was like, man, I actually don't know this guy. Like I only knew him as dad. And again, I don't know my dad as a man. Right. I knew some of the things he stood for, but he was the authoritarian figure. What if I actually changed the relationship with him and said, um, hey, James, let's just talk. Who are you? What were you like before I was born? I actually realized like my dad's really cool. He's really awesome stuff in his life. He went to Woodstock and he built businesses from scratch and there was nobody really teaching him, you know, about business. Everything he learned was by doing. He went through some really pretty life altering spiritual experiences. And so the reason I think some of the stuff that you were bringing up for me, it was removing the combativeness of actually trying to prove my point that I was right and he was wrong. It was more of the place of like, okay, how can I accept and love my dad for who he is, despite all the opinions or point of views or judgments that I have around the way that he parented me? Could I actually remove that and come from a place of just love and holding a space in this container? Uh, not only from like a from a like just me as being in the car with him, but rather can we just stay in this container and just talk. And maybe some of these like perceived notions that I had about him, about how bad he was as a dad, how awful he was as a dad. And which was funny because it was always extreme in my mind, but that wasn't the reality. It was because that was all fueled by anger and hate and, you know, and frustration. And I think when I removed all of those negative emotions and I came from a place of love and acceptance and whatever was said was his opinion and his point of view. And I took it what it was that's when I think the real relationship started. And I think a lot of us could do that with our parents by simply just removing our own 
um, perceived notion that our parents like intentionally out to just do wrong right. to us. And, and every case is different. Like, listen, and I'm not saying, you know, so I'm, I'm generalizing here. Everybody has certain relationships and different relationships with their parents. But what I am saying is for those of you that are interested in having relationships with your parents or want something with them, the first step is really to identify where your resentment or your resistance or friction might come up and actually getting to know them as people. Because if you're able to remove that, once you identify it, you come from a place of no judgment and conclusion, which is what we all want. We just want to be accepted for who we are without judgment. And ironically, that's what parents really do well, is that you're their son and you're their kid. They just want the best for you. That's really powerful. And, you know, in my mind, uh, one of the hardest things to do is to overcome the pre-existing yeah. anger, frustration, mm. resentment, to be able to actually yeah. just acknowledge them as the humans that they are, as the people yeah. that they are that care about you and have you know, a certain belief system that might not necessarily be the same as yours. And to be able to have conversations on middle ground without any of that, you know, mm -hmm. pre-existing stuff coming up, at least for me, because this is resonating with me quite a lot, mm. is that there's certainly a requirement around us to look inside ourselves as, as the adults that we are to be able to, you know, look above that. And to be able to acknowledge that what you said is like, they just were doing the best that they could with what they knew and what they had at the time. And, you know, at the end of the day, they really just want what's best for us. And so yeah. if we can be able to kind of meet their understanding that like, listen, they're not going to change. And so how do we move forward together? We have the ability to have a relationship with our parents, you know, for the rest of our lives in the best way that we know how with that, with, while being able to release any of this, you know, resentment uh, and anger and, and, and frustration that's been plaguing us to such a significant degree, potentially for our entire lives. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more, Ben, because one of the things that I, I work with my clients on specifically is I tell them it's never the person, place, or thing that you have the problem with. It's your relationship to the person, place, or thing that's the problem. By changing your relationship to your father, by changing your relationship to the way that you feel about him or how he did you wrong or whatever the outcome or the process that you've gone through over time, because as you've gotten older and you've never had resolved, it becomes more layered. So some of the opinions or points of view have are covered under feet and feet of dirt that we have to dig all the way down and bring up to the surface and really truly ask ourselves, is that what really truly happened? This is not to nullify how you feel, but rather really truly asking yourselves is if your parents aren't going to change, what are you going to do to change your relationship to what your problems are with them? And can you let go? And what can you let go of? And that's the thing that's really hard for a lot of people is, is that if mom and dad did you wrong, or you feel as though that dad's not listening to me and I've been working so hard and I still can't get his love or attention, well, are you actually going to let go of that? Because you're going to spend the rest of your life inheriting that burden. And guess what? If you're going to have children someday, you're going to be in that relationship more than likely that's been wired into you. And I talk about this in the book about generational traits and curses. We all have them. I've inherited 
my dad that I consider a curse, which is what I would just classify as not so great things. My dad's pretty stubborn. I can be stubborn at times. Um, there are times where we grind each other down. And actually, I get sometimes triggered by him when I'm in person because he'll try to grind me down. I'll try to grind him down. And then we're just grinding down each other. And yeah. then we're in a deadlock. It's kind of like what's happening in the Senate right now. But, you know, it's just constant gridlock. But, you know, with that being said, where can I let go? Why am I trying so hard to prove that I'm right? And that's where the gridlock actually gets released is when we learn to let go and understand that like, you know, if dad's not going to change or mom's not going to change, why am I trying so hard to change them? Shouldn't right. I be trying to change myself? Because the true, the true change actually happens within us in our relationship to things. And the more we learn to let go of expectations of how somebody needs to be, why they need to be a certain way and how they need to be in their relationship to us that's actually going to cause a lot of burden for us. So where can we let go and where can we release the resistance and change our perspective and actually change ourselves in our lives the way that we want to live? Because mom and dad are going to be stuck. You said it before. They're in, the older you get, the harder it is for you to change. So where can you let that go? And just ask yourself, where can I let go the expectation of not just my parents, but maybe your significant other, maybe your children? Where are you having expectations of your kids right now that mom and dad had on you? What's the curse that you've inherited from your parents that you can work on letting go and not letting it get passed on to your children? Yeah. What traits and what traits can you have? The good traits, got some good from your dad. So what good traits did you inherit from him that you want to pass on to your kids? Because of the simple fact is, is with good comes bad and with bad comes good and with light comes dark. They're two halves of a whole. You actually have to have both. Regardless of the emotions involved yeah. through your childhood, what are some of the best qualities that you think your dad passed down on you? Because you're obviously a, a good man. Yeah. And, uh, thanks, know. Ben. Thank you. Yeah, I would say the the number one thing that I loved that I that I loved getting from my dad was the innate curiosity to see the world differently and ask how things are built. So my dad is really fascinated by machines. And I used to think it was just like he was a tinker and my grandfather was in the Navy and he worked for RCA and my, my whole family is all, they're all car guys. And the reason why they're car guys is because they're into the mechanic piece and they're just there. I was just, I was just the art kid. I'm a writer. So like I was more into like reading Thoreau and like, you know, digging in, <laughs> digging into Joyce and they're all sitting outside watching Earnhardt and Bill Elliott right. and all the NASCAR guys. Um, but my dad taught me to see the world differently because every time we would go out and he still does this every time we've gone out on trips and stuff, or he's gone somewhere, there'll be a construction on a big building or a crane or something. And he'll always stop and he'll look at it and he mutters to himself and he goes, I wonder how they got that up there. And if you think about like the simplicity of that question and how you can apply it to day-to-day -day life, mm. I used to not ask myself the littlest questions to really expand my thinking because I didn't think they did any good. But I wonder when my dad does that, it actually opens them up to a world of possibility by saying, I wonder how they did that. And so if I actually, for me, inheriting that innate curiosity led me to asking important questions and good questions. Um, and that's the number one thing that I loved inheriting from him because my dad actually, his curiosity is what led him to be so good in business, but also to really truly explore his spirituality, which is what I love too. My dad um, is a very spiritual man. And I think mm -hmm. 
he's asked a lot of questions in his lifetime. And I used to think I got questions from like my mom. I actually got my questioning from my dad. And when I started asking questions and I started being curious, I recognized that my life was a lot easier and I felt more joyful, ironically, when I was acting like him in those manners. That's awesome. I'm curious just because in the book you had mentioned how you were not a religious person, yet your father had found religion at some point during his life. And it really was kind of the cornerstone of so many of the relationships, the beautiful relationships that he had had Mm. and, and has throughout his life and the type of man he became. How has your view of, of, of religion changed by virtue of the time that you've spent with him? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. When I was a kid in Catholic school, you know, it was kind of like Christianity was forced upon you. And then, you know, those of you who are Catholic know the Catholic guilt is very prevalent in middle school. So, you know, it, it, I always felt like every time I did something, I was doing something bad because it was just that that was just permeated throughout our education. And I realized that when I had the resentment and anger towards my dad, I actually resented and was angry towards Christianity in a lot of ways, because anything that was in relation to him, which was actually money, which was success in business. And what was Christianity, I was like, I don't want it. I don't want to have anything to do with Mm -hmm. those three things. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. even because I disagreed with him or didn't think I wanted him. It was just because, Oh, dad has those. I don't want it. When I actually started exploring with my dad and he told me the story um, and there's a story in the book and, and it's actually my favorite story in the entire book. It's called when all your friends are gone. And that story to this day is so powerful And I've read it hundreds of times, gone over it hundreds of times. And I remember it just like it was yesterday, these relationships with these men that he grew up in the church with and like them running the race of life together. And, you know, when you run that race of life, not everybody makes it to the finish line together. Some people just don't make it. And so what an honor and a privilege it was for my dad to find brotherhoods in Christ, to find brotherhood in their faith to find brotherhood in what Christ stood for, which was love of one another, love of yourself, love of something much bigger than you, and love and acceptance that you're here and that you're here to do the best that you can and try. And so for my dad to express that through his faith, it actually removed a lot of the negativity and the, the dark veil lying over that was like, oh, dad's a Christian. I don't want anything to do with that. It was like, well, what is actually Christianity truly about? And when my dad started talking about why he believed in Jesus and why he read the Bible and why he would meditate. I mean, my dad's 75 years old and been every single day for as long as I could remember, he spends the first 30 minutes of his day praying and he reads the Bible and he journals and there's a contentment with him that there's something much bigger than him that's carrying him, that's supporting him, and that's loving him. And I think removing the religious context from what I just said, and we're just applying that to life for everybody, think about that, how amazing and how wonderful it is in our lives to have a support and a care and a love of something much bigger than ourselves taking care of us when times get tough. And so for me, religion for this religions, particularly talking about Christianity, there was no negativity around. It was actually just learning the fact that he was embracing what he believed to be the core center of his religion, which was love. And so he, my dad actually learned to love himself as a flawed human being. He actually, in a lot of ways, learned as he got older to love 
somebody else to love his, his brothers, to love Max and, you know, and Floyd and Bill and to love those three men and to know that they were there to pick him up when he fell down, to carry him in the race when he got weak and he would do the same for them. And how beautiful is that, that we could all wish to have a Bill, a Max and a Floyd, that we could all run this race of life together. And I think that to me is what really changed the context of having these like negative connotations around religion and faith. And, you know, you know, even God is looked at in the, in the larger scheme as this bad thing that, Oh, you're, you say God, you must be, uh, well, God's associated to Christianity. No, 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 no. God's not associated to Christianity. God is a representation of something much bigger than yourself. Love is something that's much bigger than yourself. And that's when I started recognizing that my dad didn't believe so much in Christianity because of Jesus. He believed in Christianity because of what it stood for, which was love. And that was something that I got behind with him. And that was actually the first time that we shared faith with each other because we were no longer combating each other. And it was like, it wasn't about, well, Jesus is the son of God. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, well, prove it, you know, or God's not real and God's will prove it. It was more about like, actually having faith and trust in something much larger than yourself that you can't see is really truly about trusting and loving and believing in yourself and believing in love and believing that that is the actual true power of what exists out there. Is it, can me and him love each other unconditionally? And can we love other people as best as we can with what we have at the time that we have it? Yeah, I I appreciate that so much. And regardless of the religion, um, I think that that idea holds such power. And ultimately, you know, what else you mentioned is just around the fact, just having the faith that you don't have to be in control. And, you know, invariably, there's things that are going to be out of your control. And just to relinquish it saying universe will conspire in whatever way Mm -hmm. it's intended therefore giving you permission to solely focus on the things that are within your control and the relationships that you have power over right and your daily actions and your thoughts and your beliefs and your behaviors are ultimately what's going to dictate how the cards are stacked that was you know it's very beautifully said now with all of that mike obviously we could go on all day and I'm enjoying this conversation. Um, But where can people find uh, this book? First off, you can go to my website, mikelagori.com. That is M-I-K-E-L-I-G-U-O-R-I.com. And you can find on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And um, if you do end up buying a copy, please tag me on Instagram. It's at mike.lagori. So L-I-G-U-O-R-I is my last name. Please tag me. I'd love to share. I'd love to just send you a thank you for supporting the book and the story, but Barnes and Noble and Amazon right now, and uh, hopefully more bookstores. For all of you listening, I'll have all of that information just in the show notes. So just take a moment, scroll down, order the book. It's a great, a relatively quick read. Um, Mike's a great writer. You're going to enjoy, you're going to enjoy the stories. Um, so I hope you'll do yourself a favor and and go ahead and and download that book or uh, go pick it up. Mike, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank Thank you you so much for coming on the show. And um, don't hesitate to let us know what we can do to continue to support you, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Ben, so much. And and one thing I want to share with your audience before we jump off is, is that just remind yourselves as you're listening to this episode and walking away that it's never too late for you to have something with your parents. Amen.
Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you soon. Take care. All right. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you in your nutrition journey for free. One, grab a free copy of my Fat Loss Fix Guide at fatlossfixguide.com. Two, join my free group at smartnutritionmadesimple.com. Three, subscribe to my YouTube channel at smartnutritionmadesimpletv.com. Four, leave a five-star rating and positive review so that we can gain access to more nutrition experts ready to share their knowledge with you and ultimately help more people make smart nutrition simple. 